When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. What if you lost your ability to walk? Is there any way possible you could be grateful for all the things around you? Today's guest, Lee Chambers, will share his story that led him to becoming a life coach and founder of Essentialize. Lee will talk about his struggles as a young adult, experiencing mental challenges, losing his ability to walk for months with a young child and a new baby on the way. Lee's illness was a turning point for him and a big part of what led him to finding gratefulness for all the things he had in his life. Lee is an environmental psychologist, life coach, and an expert on well-being. He will talk about his journey, being resilient, how being grateful can change our perspective on life, and share lots of ways to optimize our minds and bodies. Thank you for listening to hear Lee's story on Stories Connect People podcast. So welcome, Lee, to Stories Connect People podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Polly. Great, great. So I uh, shared in your introduction, um, of course, this is a podcast focusing on interesting, inspiring, and uplifting uh, people, um, and you fit all of those. So why don't you start by telling us just a little bit about your story? Yeah, so if I'm to put my story in a nice, short and digestible form, uh, I grew up in the UK, in the North. With my I love your accent, by the way. <laughs> oh. uh, and I'm the oldest of three brothers. My mum and dad worked very hard to make sure we had a roof over our heads and food on the table. So I had a nice, stable childhood. I went to university. I was the first one in my extended family to do so. And it was kind of like a big thing for my parents to help me get there. Uh, I then moved to university in the second year and at first, I found the freedom great, but then I started to struggle with the child to adult transition, defining who I was as a man, and really having the emotional intelligence to dig a bit deeper into who I was authentically. But I managed to get through that, having been taken home by my parents, and build myself back up to graduate. I then moved into finance to be a financial advisor to help people with their financial well-being. Uh, but unfortunately, that was in 2007. And after six months, my professional qualification and then my job were taken due to redundancy. So that was another challenge to go through. But that ignited me to set up a video game business and start working in local government. That then took me on into another position where I work with unemployed people, helping them build the confidence, get their interview skills and the communication strong and finding a path to find what job they actually wanted, what direction they wanted to move in. And then that took me into elite sport after doing a number of qualifications. I then unfortunately lost the ability to walk and that changed my whole life and my whole world. 
turned it around and has led to what I do today, where I help businesses and individuals to find exactly what their path and purpose are, help them get more energy to do the things that they love and enjoy, and help them really break through the barriers and plateaus that they've set for themselves and start to get closer to the potential. Well, that is a lot and a lot for us to cover there. So um, you have just an incredible amount of passion and resilience and uh, just love for life. Um, and a lot of that came through a different um, struggles that you've had and um, several things that you've overcome. And I'm sure you, you know, with your family and everything has just been a great inspiration for you. But can you break a few of those down and, um, you know, talk about, you know, kind of where you got to today with your business as an environmental psychologist and well-being consultant and um, life coach and you uh, coach corporations as well as individuals and your company Essentialize. And so um, I know that you have a lot to share there, um, but why don't we um, start a little bit um, with some of your uh, background, maybe in your earlier years um, as you started to approach that? Yeah, so I mean, a big part of my own story was around my parents and my brothers, I was the oldest and I had that element of the pressure of going to university I was identified quite young as clever and talented and able to navigate through education quite well. Um, and I managed that and got to university and then... It were, was you like, a good, were you a good uh, high school student? Do you call it high school in the UK? Yeah, high school. High school. So, were you a good high school student? I was good, but lazy, very lazy. So I didn't really revise, but I came out with good grades um, and that allowed me to go through to college and then through college to university. Um, and university, obviously, is the first chance you get to really have that not only educational freedom, but that life freedom as you start to try and define who you are as a person, you start to live that university life. And at first, I found that really engaging. I found it, you know, wow, there's a world full of options here. I'm meeting people from across the world. It's really good. But in so many ways, like modern parenthood, my parents had really smoothed out my journey up until that point, never really hit challenges that I had to deal with myself and I was in that position where I was working to self-fund because my parents couldn't afford to pay for my tuition uh, so I was I was working I was going to uni I was trying to engage in everything and keep busy um, and I started to just struggle with that element of I didn't really have from my father much of an example of what it is to be a man so he was always out working so I didn't really mm -hmm. spend a lot of quality time with him so I didn't really have that definition. And back, you know, 17, 18 years ago, there wasn't the same resources and awareness around male mental health and how to access services when you're struggling. And I kind of went on a bit of a downward spiral after going back after Christmas. When did you notice, like, th um, was it um, maybe some of your earlier years or not until um, you reached the college point where you realized realize that uh, maybe some of these challenges um was it at that point yeah it was it was it was at that time you know I was 19 so I was trying to make that transition and in so many ways when you're young and your responsibilities are, are lower and you can just kind of do what you need to do and your parents in some ways just look after you they make sure that your self-care is met they make sure that you're you know they're checking in on you they're making sure you're doing what you need to do 
But in the same way that you don't have that space to grow, if you're not let out to go and make mistakes, if your failures are like, oh, don't worry, it'll be okay. So you don't go back and look at those and it doesn't allow you to really dig into yourself. Right. Yeah. As a young man, you don't really get that kind of, that deep understanding of your own emotional intelligence, the skills to kind of ask yourself those powerful questions, to dig inside. You tend to spend a lot of time on the surface talking to your friends about sport and music and it doesn't really allow you to go deep with other people or yourself. And that's a skill that you learn over time. But being a 19-year-old male, not really being able to speak and open up vulnerably to other people, it's a big part of my story about why I do what to do, why I do what I do today. But at the same time, at that point, I, I didn't really know where to turn. And it just got continually worse until my parents came and took me out of my dorm because I'd isolated myself for two weeks. I started what, my exams. What, uh, what caused you to isolate yourself? Um, so it was just, I had a number of scenarios where I froze doing a university presentation in front of 300 students. And I just, I just couldn't bring myself to then leave. My self-care started to take a hit. And it was a point where I was living with our students. The kitchen was a mess. The bathroom wasn't being cleaned. And just so many things come together to, for me to start to be like, I just, I just can't leave. And I was sleeping more often than not and just listening to music and trying to really forget about the challenges that I had hiding instead of trying to break them down and tackle them. And that's what led to me then just locking myself away. And it took my parents coming to actually physically take me home before any I was able to kind of get out of that spiral and really break that pattern. And so you say your parents, you know, recognized that you were in, um, I guess, this state where, where you were, where you were, uh, maybe you know, not able to, you know, just kind of regain control of, of your situation and, and this mindset that was, um, you know, certainly not not helpful for you. So, what was their reaction, and how did they help you get started on the right path again? Right. Or was it or was it them or was it something else? No, in many ways it was they took me home and gave me a space to just be open. But more than that, I ha- by being open and then being able to be vulnerable at home, that allowed me to start to dig a bit deeper into myself. So I, I actually, in, instead of hiding from it, I started to look and think, what, why has this happened? And that allowed me to kind of start building myself back up by understanding myself that bit more, I I wasn't running from it anymore. I was now starting to tackle it and look at it head on. And just being at home kind of allowed me to do that because it almost reset my situation. Mm -hmm. Put me in a comfortable place, but a place where I could then focus on trying to build myself back up for the future. And I utilised that to then go back to university to reset the exams and the coursework that I hadn't done or that I'd struggled and not done very well on and that did you, go, did you go back to the same school so I went back to the same university but then I didn't move into university I, okay. I, went, I stayed at home and caught the train for the for the remaining two years so again that was in some ways limiting yet at the same time it's what I needed at the time to get through and I actually then managed to graduate 
and interview for graduate jobs and managed to secure one, which was a big thing at the time to kind of come back through that challenge, but then managed to complete my studies. I bet your parents are really proud of you, huh? Yeah, I think in, in, in many ways they 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 saw the challenges and there's probably a time when they thought that I wasn't going to finish. But again, I was resolute and I was resilient and I was like, this is a challenge and I, if I'm going to run from all my challenges in life, I'm never really going to get anywhere near my potential and I'm just going to always be running from something because life is full of challenges. So right. I really took that ownership and said, I'm going to finish and it's not going to dominate my life, but it's going to be a time when I look back and realize that life is going to be a bit like that, full of challenges that you have to overcome. And I can imagine, and we'll talk about this um, in just a few minutes, but I can imagine as a life coach that um, you having gone through experiences like this, especially maybe if you're coaching someone that's, um, you know, in in school or recently graduated that, you know, they feel a real sense of connection because of the uh, the experience that you've had. And it's it's like you've you've been there, you've overcome it, you've gotten through it and you know what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, it's a big thing. And obviously that lived experience sometimes is more valuable than the accreditations and qualifications that I hold at the same. Uh, That's that that is a really great point. At the same time, though, it's important that you just as a from a coach's perspective, that you're able to share that vulnerability but you don't use your experience as Mm -hmm. a benchmark of the other person's experience because we all have a different perception and perspective, (laughs) perception and perspective on life. And it's important as a coach that you help people to empower themselves through their challenges and not to implant your beliefs, given that you've been through something similar because the life, life is significantly different now for a college student of today than it was for me 18 years ago but that lived experience does mean that you can build that rapport and connection and show that you have that understanding of their challenges and that helps them to become more open more honest and actually be a bit more vulnerable with you which is a really powerful part of building a coaching relationship that helps me to you know give small insights but really bring out their potential and help them with the beliefs that are holding them back well, um, so you're an environmental psychologist. What does that uh, What does that mean? And um, you know, what do you do in that field? Yeah, so environmental psychology is quite a new field, and to break it down for people, uh, it's kind of got three main aspects. So we've got environmental psychologists who work with architects, city planners, home designers to create urban environments that are better for humans, both in terms of well-being and the environment at large. You've got the subsection of psychologists who look at humans' interaction with nature, so the how valuable it is to spend time in natural environments, ecotherapy, uh, and just looking at how nature affects how we behave, so how people who live in natural environments behave in comparison to people in urban environments. And the final section, look at environmental behaviour, So what can cause one person to believe that climate change is incredibly dangerous and another person to believe that it doesn't exist? And how can you help people looking at the values and social norms and social dynamics to look at how you can possibly change people's behaviour to look after the environment more? 
So my section is really looking at workplace and sleep environments. So how can an office or a bedroom help someone to get more sleep or become have better well-being and become more regenerated? So in an office environment, I'm looking at things like ventilation, lighting, noise, temperature, uh, layout of office furniture where people are sat in relation to each other. Are people crammed too close? Is it too sparse? Can people communicate? Is it functional for their job? And in so many ways, built office buildings are designed by architects who are reporting to a board or facilities managers, not the people who use the building. So I quite, I quite often go in, interview the people who use it to find what they like, what things they feel are a problem, and then kind of report that back and look what we can do to make the environment better for them in the course of their everyday life, given that most people are in an office for you know possibly 40 hours of a week. Right. It's to be as good for your well-being as it can be. Well, I have several questions in there for you, but just something that's very timely. How has the global pandemic impacted your work? I can imagine that, you know, looking at you know, the nature of the office, that that could be more important today than um, it's ever been in the past. Um, what are you seeing there? Yeah, so, I mean, what's kind of happened is on one aspect, it's a massive social experiment that you couldn't carry out if it wasn't for the pandemic. So with so many people now working from home, we can we now have a lot of data available about how people feel about not working in an office, how people feel working from home, how people have been able to ad adapt their home environments to become work environments over the course of not, what is quite often a six-month transition. It was more like a one-week transition. Yes, exactly. People were just there and how people have managed to adapt to that and how it works for some people but not for others. And people have been restricted from nature so that, you know, you've been isolated. You've not been able to go out and get that natural environment that people do. So we're kind of getting data on how that works. But in the bigger scheme of things, offices will change given the anxiety that's been caused by the pandemic and how people feel. I mean, now people are going to be more aware of their own social space in an office. People, Absolutely. People are going to choose to socially distance at their choice. And that's going to continue on past coronavirus and become more of a cultural thing where people actually want their own space and are thinking, you know, immunologically how that could affect them. And it's going to change culturally how well-being is perceived within business. It's really important that your staff are well, both physically and mentally, because that's how you get good levels of performance. It's how you get creativity. But it's also how you reduce sickness and actually keep people working in a culture that cares. And I believe it's going to be a big cultural change once we kind of get back to some level of normality, which is going to be significantly different well, certainly a very, very interesting field that you're in and uh, being a recruiter and so interested in, in all sorts of careers, it just is fascinating um, to me. Uh, but you mentioned um, sleep and the importance of sleep. And I know that if I don't get sleep, it's, you know, you're cranky and it's hard to focus and you just are... Um, I mean, just the day is is not good, but then we have people that, you know, are uh, deal with that. You know, I might just have a bad night sleep and 
and then it, you know, turns into maybe, you know, just a really groggy day the next day. But um, how critical, you know, from your standpoint is sleep to just, you know, the overall well-being? Um, it's massive. I mean, fr from my perspective, sleep is the cornerstone. It's the fundamental driver of performance and it's fundamental to our health. So in so many ways, like you say, the initial like, element of behavior after a bad night's sleep will when a little child has a bad night's sleep and then there are terrorizing <laughs> terrorizing people the following day, the parents are always like, oh, he's just a, he just needs a nap. He's had a bad night's sleep. Well, <laughs> the exact same thing happens to adults. So sleep is vital. If we if we don't get enough sleep, it affects our immune system. It affects our ho hunger hormones. And that leads us to be more likely to eat poorly, which then spikes our blood sugar and makes us feel even more groggy. It is probably the number one factor in workplace conflict is a lack of sleep. And sleep also causes more mistakes, both in the workplace and in life. And that's oh, yes. very, very critical on the road, where if a sleeping driver crashes, there's, there's no correction, there's no reaction, they just crash. Right. Um, and it's the data there sleep is absolutely vital and then it's all the other things that affect such as your attention your concentration your focus and ability to do tasks it increases our cortisol levels so we become more anxious more stressed and just less able to deal with everyday life so we have a lot of environmental stress in our in our daily lives anyway and suddenly but then exactly it right and it's just, it's really what it does is bad sleep gradually spirals to be dangerous to your performance as a human, but also dangerous to your health. And that's what happens when you don't get enough sleep. And that kind of, that it's, it's a breaking factor in relationships. It can cause you to suffer from the loss of your job. It can cause you so many different issues. And it only takes one really bad night's sleep. And your blood sugar levels the next day will be at pre-diabetic levels. It's it's massive. And yet, because it's something that we just do, a bit like breathing, we don't think about it very much. And if we want to try and get an extra hour, then sleep is always the first thing that gets sacrificed. So really, if you have a real purpose and a real passion to make a difference in the world, you'll go and get your sleep so you can do that effectively. You'll go and get your sleep because you value it. And value and purpose is one of the most important things but the average american adult now is down to 6.7 hours sleep there was a catalyst for you to you know really dig into to the whole wellness health wellness nutrition sleep um, just overall well-being um, and really fueled you to start to exploring this in a deeper way is is that right yeah, so for me, I kind of had an interest around like physiology and psychology when I was younger, but I really didn't kind of delve into that as much as I should have. So there became a point where I started to learn more about nutrition and did some qualifications. And it was more, it was more based on understanding myself than helping other people at that time. And when I became ill and lost the ability to walk, well, that happened over the course of a week. I was 29, I was fit and healthy. And I was in, I was in, I was in like the peak of my life in so many ways. I was playing team sports, with my friends, I was independent. I was doing exactly whatever I wanted to do. And I had that kind of ability as a young man to feel in some ways a little bit indestructible because I was just there and I was able and fully able to do everything that I wanted. And over the course of a week, 
my joints started to lock in place. So it started with my wrist, then my right knee, then my shoulder, and then my left knee. And it left me in hospital, a really challenging time as my wife was six months pregnant with my daughter and my son was 18 months old. And suddenly I was in a hospital bed, not able to shower myself, not able to feed myself properly. And they were coming looking after me, helping me shower. And all of a sudden I was like, I was dependent on everyone else and I couldn't move. And at first that was very much, a, oh, this doesn't seem very fair. I'm only young. Why now? What am I going to do? But that very quickly, but you have a lot of time to reflect when you can't move. Very quickly. Right. Yeah, very quickly became, I've been really ungrateful for my ability to walk all these years. And in fact, I've been well, ungrateful. Well, it's, it's something that you don't even think about for oh. someone for someone that you know just does it every day you just you don't even think about it and then you know when you're so like in the height of your life like you're talking about and then it just is all of a sudden taken away it's um you know i can imagine that 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 is um just incredibly hard to comprehend feels unfair you know, why did this happen to me? And, and all of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm certain you were thinking. Definitely. And definitely in that first week, I, I was grieving in some ways for my mobility, thinking what was going to become of it and the challenges that I was going to face. But having been through my mental health challenges and gradually having the mindset to be proactive and get through them. And when I was made redundant from my job, and had my professional training taken away, I'd had to do the same for that again and take ownership. And in that second week, it started to come to me. Well, not only have you been ungrateful for your mobility, you've been able to walk for 29 years, but you've been ungrateful for the people who are now looking after you, the people who are coming to help you. You've been ungrateful for all the opportunities you've had living in the first world, the free education, the food and a roof over your head, all the friends and people that you've met, the freedom to set up a business, the freedom of opportunity to have numerous different jobs and do numerous qualifications, all these chances, you've just not been grateful for them. And it does take a lot of suffering and crisis to suddenly jolt you in that position to become grateful and understand that actually all these things, you could, you could have been an orphan who lived in the third world who had very few opportunities, no parents to go back to after university, you know, no chance of a corporate career in the first world, no, no freedom to set up a business under the government you lived. And I was just like, I could, that could be me. And I'm lay here feeling sorry for myself. And that really kind of incited me and thought, okay, so my daughter's about to be born. I'm going to be walking by the time she's walking. Oh, and, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that, that really gave me a lot of power and purpose. And I decided I'm going to take ownership. So this disease is attacking my joints and causing me a lot of pain. So I'm going to attack it back as hard as it's attacking me. So I'm going to be proactive. And I got discharged from hospital and I had to adapt a lot of the things that we're doing while I was in rock walking rehab and going through physiotherapy. And there was a lot of mornings where I was in a lot of pain. I was stiff. I didn't want to get up and do my exercises, but every morning I was like, you know what? The person who you're going to become is one who walks and therefore it doesn't matter how you feel. You're going to take action to make sure you get there and you're going to empower yourself and push yourself through these challenges to keep going, to keep going when it's hard and when it's tough, because you, you, you are going to walk again. And that belief 
that power of why the the visualization of running around the garden with my children playing sports and just being happy and that mm. just that just fueled me on through those really difficult times and in so many ways it, it did because after 11 months I walked a mile unaided and that was just before my daughter started walking and I just knew that with that willpower and that why power and just deciding I decided I was going to be walk again so there was no it was 100% there was no like choice of being in the wheelchair and taking the medication I decided I was going and really in so many ways that that is my story I'm going to be proactive and, and write my own story and as I've become to understand the my authentic self inside well the word authentic the root of the word is from the word author which means to write your own story so if you're going to be true to yourself, I love that I love that you have to write your own story um, did your wife immediately see this change in just attitude, mindset, just kind of your overall um, state? Yeah, and I mean, in so many ways, she was supporting me through that process. So it's so hard to do that kind of thing on your own without someone behind you. And the caregivers are often the ones that do everything and, and are kind of forgotten. Well, yeah, exactly. And in, in so many ways, if, if it wasn't for her, maybe I wouldn't have had the fortitude to carry on. I had that mindset. But what you don't realize is sometimes you've got a corner of care behind you. And that was my wife and then her parents. And then that corner of care helps you recover. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. And now in this situation where we're at today, I've been helping frontline healthcare staff by giving free coaching. Because I realize that if I help them keep their well-being high in a really difficult time like this, sure. then they will be able to help their patients better. And that way, an hour of my time can help 100 patients over a week. And I really understand and have linked into that because of the corner of care I had to get back on my feet. Well, you have used the word uh, just gratitude and being grateful. Um, that is a key ingredient for uh, for happiness, I believe. It's a key ingredient for happiness. And, and just um, how important do you feel gratefulness is? Yeah, it's massive. And in so many ways, if you don't practice it, you don't see it. And it's like our brains are white. That is so, that is so true. Yeah. And you, our have to, you have to just be very aware of it. Yeah. And our brains are wired in a certain way. And it's evolutionary to see the negative, to make sure that we don't get eaten, to make sure that we don't die. So we do have a negative bias. So gratitude, in some ways, it's not built into us until things are taken away. But you can actually practice, if you practice gratitude, what you suddenly start to see is the little things that just would have just passed you by in life. You suddenly become mindful of them. When you become mindful of them, you can become grateful of them. And for some people, that's setting a gratitude diary, either when they wake up or before they go to bed. And just that action and intention every day starts to get you being able to see little moments of gratitude and a little one that I use is every time I stop at a red light while I'm driving I think of something I'm grateful for we quite often drive in autopilot we're not thinking very much we're not yeah. really mindful 
we Especially just, going to the same places all the yeah, time. We just kind of drive and we switch, all our senses are pretty much switched off. We're just kind of looking where we're going and making sure that we get there. Uh, so it's, it's a really good one to just embed because so many people actually, when they get stopped at a red light, think, oh, this isn't any good. I'm, I'm going to be late. It's like quite often it's a, it's a trigger for stress. I think it's perfect to use as a trigger for gratitude is you just look at the world and realize you're always at a red lights to stop and see. And that's kind of how we should operate in life. Travel somewhere, but there's going to be lots of stops. Every time you stop, reflect on what's good and think about what can I be grateful for? I think that's a really good metaphor for life. Well, I love that. But um, you know, just self-isolated for weeks and weeks now, I have found myself being, you know, noticing uh, if I go to the park, noticing the birds and the squirrels playing and the flowers and, and, you know, just the people and the dogs running around and people playing Frisbee and things like that. And um, something that um, maybe I wouldn't have been so uh, aware of in the past, but when you, when you don't have it, don't see it, haven't been able to experience it for so long and this is just self-isolation. It's nothing like, you know, losing your ability to walk for months and months. Um, but just just being mindful and present and, and appreciative of the things that you're experiencing and around you, I think is so powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the case for so many people that all the amazing things around us, the access to things that we have and explore, and we just kind of, in so many ways, in our busy lives, we're not switched on to it. We just do it. In fact, so many people have started to find like places very close to them that they've never explored. And yet when it becomes part of everyday life, when it becomes part of routine, it just becomes that. And it gets very detached from our understanding of what we should be grateful for and what we should be happy for. And just the understanding that we have access to things. And with coronavirus have been taken and restricted our autonomy for the first time in the lifetime for so many of us it's a real it's a real eye-opener to just how valuable being able to access nature is just how valuable being able to go out into a social environment with friends the choice to meet who you want when you want and just the ability to have that human contact when so many things have been taken away and it's like with me losing the ability to walk, it's just the same. We become really, really adaptive in crisis and it switches all of our senses back on. And that is sometimes why as a human race, we need a big jolt, almost every human being across the world. And we have a shared human experience. It doesn't matter where in the world you are, you're That's at threat right. from an infection that could possibly kill you. It's brought our communities closer together realizing that everyone is facing the challenge of something bigger and when we do that we all start to come together uh we've had a worldwide jolt you're exactly right um yeah i just love everything that you're saying and since we were talking about uh, kind of being outside and um i know that um you incorporate nature and you were talking about the environmental um psychology and and how that incorporates uh nature i mean how important is that to the overall well-being and maybe some of the coaching that you do yeah i mean it's massive and if you kind of think about how when you take a walk into the forest so i do it both in terms of personal clients and through my workplace well-being 
where I'll organise walking meetings and dinner time walks and workplace walks. But as soon as you get out into nature, it's a full sensory experience that you don't get in urban environments. So you can hear the birds tweeting, the winds blowing on your face, you can feel your feet on the ground, you can smell the flowers, you can almost taste like the crisp air. And that's something that you don't really get when you're sat in your house, all your senses dulled. And it's a big thing. I mean, we can see more shades of green than any other colour. And that's for an evolutionary perspective when we're in the middle of a forest and we're stood next to trees that are thousands of years old and realising that we're gone in the blink of an eye and we're a small part of something much, much bigger. Just the ability to get out there and just see, to reconnect with the world that we're on. And it just it just makes you realise how amazing it all is. And the benefits, like psychologically and physiologically, are massive. You walk in nature, it gets your blood pumping. You get access to all that kind of ecosystem of bacteria that are only in outdoor environments that help build our microbiome stronger. It gets your mind clear. You can suddenly focus. You become more creative when you're in nature. In fact, it's so powerful that ecotherapy can treat mild to moderate depression mm. and attention restoration therapy can take young children who are really struggling with attention disorders and spend a significant amount of time in nature, it can help them reconnect with their attention and the concentration. It's incredibly powerful. And yet again, we take it for granted so often. But being out in nature, it's a real healer. Nature deficit you know, disorder, which is causing so many problems for young children who they don't get out in nature enough. They spend too much time in front of technology not getting enough sunlight in their eyes and that's causing them to have issues which require them to need glasses and it's damaging their eyesight in the longer term. They're not as active as they once were and they're not able to go and explore and learn in the world that we're currently in. So I um, say in my uh, intro and on my website that your past shapes you but doesn't have to define you. Do you agree with that and why or why not? Yeah, so I actually agree with that. And what I believe is your past, it gives you so many tools. It gives you your journey. It gives you the stories that you've been told to be able to shape the future. And it's important that we don't live in the past. The past is really valuable because what we can do is look at the past and look at our past experiences, our challenges, our failures, our friendships, and find what is the underlying thread between them all. And that really helps us shape the person that we can be. There's a reason why your life has been the way it is. And if you look back on the last 10 years of your life, that's tens of thousands of decisions that you've made that have got you to where you are today. But what it really is important to do is to look back on the big elements in the past and take the emotion away and look at them as experiments, as if you were in science. So, yeah, it's important to look back on your past and look at the failures and take the emotion away and look at them as experiments to be able to see there's things that you probably don't want to do again in the future because it didn't go the way that you wanted. But in every failure, there's a little bit of treasure. Sometimes looking at how we've dealt with things in our past can help us deal with the future obstacles it's really important that we shape our future without limiting ourselves with what we believed in the past. And in so many ways, we've got to kind of live in the present and enjoy the present and enjoy the process of moving towards the future, understanding that the past doesn't define us, 
but it does have many lessons for us to help us with our future. Lee, uh, it's been so great having you as our guest today. Um, if people want to learn about you, follow your blog, um, check out your website, um, and learn more about Essentialized, how do they find you? Yep, so I'm at leechambers.org and essentialized.co.uk, and that's I-S-E. I'm on Essentialized at Twitter and also on Instagram at Essentialized Coach. And I will absolutely include um, all of your contact information, website, um, company information in this in the show notes as well. But you are everything that Stories Connect People podcast stands for: inspiring, interesting, uplifting. And you have such a great story, and I really appreciate you sharing it with our listeners today. Um, it's been really nice meeting you. It's been a privilege, Polly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.